Come on, who's got somebody working on? One or two. Great. Come on, we need to be working on people, praying for people, and reaching out to people. Just show friendship to them, and let's see what God can do in their lives. Eh? Amen. We've got to extend the kingdom of God, overflow. Okay, I want you to open your Bible with me in John chapter 10. Uh, we were speaking, uh, uh, we're talking in a series on following Jesus. And uh, in the series, we looked about hearing the voice of God. Let's pick it up from there. And then we want to take it somewhere else that's, uh, that's probably quite relevant for you. Here it is here in, in John chapter 10, verse 27. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. So one of the things is, it's possible for any person to hear the voice of God. Whether you're saved or unsaved, God has got no trouble speaking to you. He can get through to you. He's got a way of doing it. And even with your unsaved, people don't always recognize it's God. But uh, many times they understand actually that's God trying to get a hold of my attention. But for a believer, this is what Jesus said, if you're my sheep, here's two things. One, we hear his voice. Two, we respond. We actually do what Jesus said. We follow him or we make choices to act on what God said. And last week we shared with you some very simple keys, how you hear the voice of God. We talked about the flow of the Spirit within you. How Jesus said uh, that the Spirit of God would flow like a river from within. And so we shared that the voice of your head is different to the voice of your heart. The voice of your head is logical, rational, one idea after another in an order. The voice of your heart is spontaneous with pictures and it flows. And so we saw that the Spirit of God, when He speaks to us, speaks to our heart, brings witness in our heart. And this is not something you just take for granted. It's something you cultivate. It becomes a way of life, of learning to listen to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. You'll save a lot of hardship if you listen to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. How many felt an unease or something was disturbing them and they ignored it and then it turned out really bad for them? How many of you had that experience? Eh? Now we've all had that experience at some point. So what happens, of course, is if you override or ignore the directions of God in your life, there's a consequence of it. So neither does God want us to be just a puppet where he tells us everything. So there's this balance of human responsibility, of thinking and working out how to interact and work my life out with God's working with me to guide me and direct me. The two go hand in hand. And uh, so, But one of the most common experiences that people have is this. What, happen, what do you do when God doesn't seem to be talking? What do you do when God seems to be silent? Now, he's never silent. He's always speaking, and he's always available to speak. But there are times in our life when God seems to be silent. How many of you know a time like that? Known in a situation. And it's, it's very, very challenging. In Psalm 28, the Psalm, David knew this. Let's have a look at it in Psalm 28. Time when God was silent. Of course, if he's silent all the time, you've got a problem. You're disconnected. Psalm 28. To you will I cry, O Lord, my rock, do not be silent to me, lest if you are silent to me, I become like those who go down into the pit. So David is saying, or the psalmist is saying, he's saying, I need you to talk to me, God. I need you to speak to me. I, need, I put my life in your hands. I'm facing pressures and difficulties. I need you to talk. And so he's saying, if you go silent on me and give me the silent treatment, I'll end up in the pit of hell, pit of depression, pit of despair. So let's just talk a little bit about what happens when it seems like God is silent. Most of us would have had an experience where you really needed God to give something to direct you, but nothing happened. You, you sought the Lord, you prayed, read your Bible, and nothing seemed to happen. 
And it can be very troubling. You ask God to help you. He doesn't seem to help you. You ask God to guide you. He doesn't seem to be guiding you. You don't seem to hear anything. And it seems quite disturbing. It seems like at times heaven seems to be silent about the things that are really important. How many know that kind of situation? And I hate that kind of situation. I have learned some things about it. So when God seems to be silent, there's always a reason behind it. There's always something we need to learn from it when God seems to be silent. But you can go through many different experiences. And unfortunately, many Christians don't respond the right way. So some get very angry and resentful that God is not talking to them. Some get offended that God's not talking. Some just feel depressed or feel, what's the use? And actually feel like, well, I'll just get on and just get on with my life. And they kind of park it. Uh, but it's of concern to us if we're talking to God and there's no response. Something is not right. We need to figure out what to do in situations like that. And uh, at times, God seems to withhold from us the very thing we need to make a decision or the very thing we need to get us out of a fix. And when that happens, uh, it can be quite distressing unless you know what to do. One of the things to understand is that when God is silent, there is always a reason for it. Uh, and sometimes that silence can just be to let what's in your heart rise to the surface. Yeah, there's a, uh, a king called Hezekiah, and it says God withdrew from him for a while to see what was in his heart, to test him, let what was in his heart come to the surface. That's found in, uh, in 2 Chronicles 32:31. So King Hezekiah was a godly man. He walked with the Lord. God blessed him and guided him. But there was a period of his time when it felt like God had withdrawn from him. Now, did God leave him? No. Does God leave you? No. He doesn't leave us. But it feels like he's not there. It feels like other things are really there. The pressures of finances, the pressures of, of a family situation, the pressures in a marriage, the pressures of your work situation, the pressures of a decision you need to make. And it feels like those are there, but God isn't there. The reality is, he is there. He is never going to leave you. He is always with you. The challenge is how you handle that time when it doesn't seem like God is responding. So I want to give you just some things not to do. Some things not to do, and we'll just give you some Bible examples on. Some things you should not do when God is silent, and you just really do need to get some direction from Him. Now, there's a lot of areas that it's not clear what the answer is. We actually need the Spirit of God to speak to us. Decisions you make about your work, where you live, uh, who you'll marry, uh, decisions uh, about family. There's a lot of things you can't actually easily read and find an answer exactly for it. So we actually have to position ourselves to let God talk with us. So what do we not do when God is silent? Now, uh, I'm going to give you an example of a person who did this very thing. And every one of these people that did this thing got themselves into trouble. So here's, uh, and not necessarily an order of importance, but uh, here's, here's, uh, here's my number one. Number one. Uh, it's found in Luke 24, Luke 24, verse 13. In Luke 24, verse 13, there were some disciples after the resurrection of Jesus. Now remember, Jesus had died, he'd been buried, he'd risen from the dead, but he hadn't spoken to them. In other words, they had a period of silence when God was not talking to them. And the Bible says that the two disciples headed out of Jerusalem, the place where they were called to be, the place where they were called to remain, the place where they were called to pioneer, the place where God had positioned them, and they began to go to Emmaus, which means literally the place of hot pools, the place of comfort, 
they began to withdraw away from the placing that God had given them. So one of the things that people do when they feel God isn't speaking to them or coming through is they pull back from church and fellowship. That's what people do. They don't know why, they just do it. It's actually because to come into fellowship or to come into where people are, they're reminded of this conflict or pain or grief that they have. They want to be reminded of it. Rather than resolve it, withdraw from where they can be reminded of it. So the disciples went that path. And here's the thing that happened to them. When Jesus began to talk to them, they couldn't even recognize him. So I've observed over many years when people have faced disappointments and struggles and pain, that they withdraw from their connection to the body of Christ or from relationship with people. When you do that, when you withdraw, you make a serious mistake because now your problems will increase and get greater. The voice that will be stronger will be the voice of the world and your own feelings, not the voice of God. One of the things I've learned is in your own pressure, in difficulty, as much as lies within you, bring it into relationship and connection. Don't withdraw. How many of you know someone like that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Then. Here's another one, number two. Don't harbor resentment. Don't harbor resentment and blame in your heart. Uh, if we read in John chapter 11 and verse 21, let's have a look at John 11, 21. John 11 and verse 21. And uh, see if I can find it here. Here it is. John 11. And Martha, when she heard Jesus was coming, went and met him, and Mary was sitting in the house. And Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Now, you've got to realize what has happened. Martha and Mary are sweating it out over the sickness that their brother has. They've sent a message out to Jesus. And guess what? Jesus doesn't reply. Not only doesn't reply, he doesn't do anything either. He just remains stay. He remains where he is and refuses to respond. And it seems to them, or seems to Martha anyway, Jesus doesn't seem to care about her. Seems to her like he's just ignoring her. It seems like he's rejecting her. And this is their time of need. Remember, they're the friends of Jesus. He's been in their home. He's been for meals with them. He stayed with them. They are his friends. And yet, when they need his help the most, the one who healed everyone else didn't heal their brother. And in fact, he died. They'd had a funeral he was buried, and they were all in the grieving stage. Now you can understand, for her, God was silent. And now Jesus turns up. And she's not exactly very happy. What's in her heart comes out of mouth. She said, if you'd been here, then he wouldn't have died. And notice this, she's putting blame on Jesus, that the death of the brother came about because he failed to do something. There's resentment and blame in her heart. When we get knocked around or disappointed or suffer a grief in our life and God does not seem to be talking to us, it's very easy out of the grief to then want to blame someone for what's happened. And so the moment Jesus came, they start to blame. Don't blame. Blame leaves you a victim. Blame stops you actually exploring what is it I need to do or grow in this particular time. Here's a, here's a third thing then. Here's another one. Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7. And this is John the Baptist. And John the Baptist went through a bit of a painful situation, and he was cautioned by Jesus. And let's have a look at John chapter 7, if I can find there, verse 20 to 23. Now, in this particular situation, John has gone out preaching the gospel. He's gone out proclaiming Jesus is the coming Savior. He's the Lamb of God. He's had this revelation about who Jesus is. And now he stood up, and he confronted Herod and his wife, 
that what their, their marriage was wrong and it was out of order, and for his, uh, for his speaking the truth, he's thrown into jail. So he's sitting here in jail, and he's awaiting death. He knows now he's stuck in jail. But the Messiah is here. Jesus is here, and here's the problem. He's not speaking or doing anything. Now, you can understand, for someone who's in prison, who's facing death, when God does not seem to be speaking or doing anything, that is very distressing. And here's the warning that Jesus gave. Jesus spoke and told the disciples in verse 22, uh, tell them, tell John the things you've seen and heard, the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor of the gospel preached to them, and blessed is he who's not offended because of me. Now, why did they go to him? They went to ask this question. Are you the one we've been looking for? Now, John knew that Jesus was the one. He got revelation. But he became hurt inside that Jesus had failed to get him out of jail. He became upset that God had not rescued him out of a difficult problem. In fact, actually, as the Bible makes it very clear, he ended his days in that jail. His head was taken off. Now, here's the thing. For him, he fully expected that Jesus would rescue him somehow out of the jail. And when Jesus didn't, the warning that came to him was this. Here's the warning, because he was starting to doubt the revelation he'd received. He's going and now, instead of saying, this is the one, he's saying, are you the one? So when we are in a difficult situation and God doesn't seem to be speaking, it is very easy to harbor these two things, to harbor doubt about what God last said to us and to feel offended that he hasn't responded to our need. Doubt about what God last said. Remember, he got revelation about who Jesus was. Now he's doubting the revelation he got. It's very easy when you're in a difficult situation. It seems like you're in prison. seems like the walls are closed in. It seems like there's no way out. It's very easy in a situation like that to begin to doubt what God has been speaking to you and easy to become offended with God and build a wall of resentment or resistance. Don't harbor offense. Here's another one. Here's another one that took the wrong way around. I'll give you one, a couple. I'll give you two more, and then we'll show you just exactly what you need to do, exactly what we need to do. Here's found in one Samuel chapter thirteen, one Samuel chapter thirteen, and this is King Saul. Now here's what Saul has actually had a word from God, and this was the word: I want you to go to this place. I want you to wait there until I come. Now here's what's happening, and we read in verse uh, six of 1 Samuel 13, the men of Israel saw they were in great danger. They were in danger because in verse 5, the Philistines gathered together to fight with Israel. 30,000 chariots, 6,000 horsemen, people like the sandwiches on the seashore for the multitude came up and encamped at Michmash at the end of Beth-Avon. And the men of Israel saw they were in danger. And so they went and they hid in the caves, the thickets, the rocks, holes and pits. And some of them Followed across Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. As for Saul, he was still in Gilgal, and the people were following him, trembling. And he waited seven days, and then according to the time set by Samuel, but Samuel did not come, and the people were scattered. So he said, bring a burnt offering and peace offerings, and he, bought the, and he offered the burnt offerings. Now it happened as soon as he finished presenting the burnt offerings, Samuel came, and Saul went out to meet him, that he might greet him. And Samuel said, what have you done? And he said, I saw the people were scattered. You didn't come. Philistines are gathered against me. And I said, well, I just need to go and make an offering to the Lord. And so I forced myself and did this offering. And he said, 
That's very foolish. You're going to lose your authority. You'll lose your kingdom as a result of this. Now notice here, don't harbor fear or anxiety and act in a reaction to what's going on. Don't hold on to fear and anxiety. Here's the problem with Saul. The problem was he was insecure. Now this is the reason he's insecure. He was insecure because he saw all the problems, but he didn't see how big God was. He was insecure because he saw the people were leaving him. He didn't see God was still with him. He was insecure because he had no current word from God except the last one to go on, and he's waiting for something to happen. So here's what happens in the face of pressure, anxiety and fear took over him. He shut down. He said, oh, I know what I'll do. I'll make something happen to get my way out of this. How many have known what it's like to be in a place like that, where you've been tight, it's been difficult, it's been tense for you, and instead of actually waiting for God to give you directions and show what to do, you actually had to force yourself, but you, you tried to make something happen. When you do that, it always messes up. It always ends up like that. Yeah, that's the tendency we have, is we want to get back into control again and feel safe rather than actually lean and trust in the Lord. My experience has been God sometimes talks quickly, sometimes talks specifically, sometimes very directly, and sometimes He's incredibly silent. And it's distressing. And you can go through all of these feelings and want to try and do something. Here's the last one we'll look at. It's found in Genesis chapter 16. And uh, <laughs> I heard about that this morning. I thought, well, he's going to preach the message. Genesis chapter 16. Let's have a look at it. Genesis 16. And this is Sarai. Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne no children. Verse 1, and she had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. So Sarah said to Abram, see, the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Notice she blames God for the situation. Please go into my maid or have sexual relationship with my maid. Perhaps I'll obtain children by her. And Abram heeded the voice of Sarah. And then later on, verse 11, uh, the angel Lord speaks to Hagar and says, Behold you with child, you'll bear a son, you'll call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has heard your affliction, but he shall be a wild man, his hand against every man, his hand, every man's hand against him, he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. Now, get this one here. Every day you look in the papers, one of the things you can't help but notice are the troubles going on in the Middle East. And you notice that primary area of the troubles around the Arab nations, the descendants of Ishmael. And when you look at those problems, what you need to be aware of is those problems would never have occurred if Abraham hadn't done this foolish thing. In fact, the earth would have been free of all of that current conflict around there if he hadn't done this. The dilemma generationally of his mistake was enormous. We're still experiencing the consequences of it today. He said, notice what he says of Ishmael. He said, he'll be a wild man. He'll be like a wild ass you can't reason with. Dave was sharing some of the stuff over there in, in Pakistan. He said, it's like a, they, they use the term donkey brain because people get so stubborn and fixed and set, you can't shift them out of it. And this is exactly what the Bible said. He said, the generations that will come out of Ishmael they will be like a donkey brain. You can't reason or talk to them. They're just stubborn and they're set. And notice this, he said, they will be all against one another. They'll be in conflict one with another. And how does this all happen? Now, you've got to consider this, that Abraham had got a promise from God, I am going to create you. I'm going to give you children. I'm going to create seed. Out of your seed, all the nations will bless. He got that in Genesis 12. Now, what you've got to realize 
is 10 years have passed and God didn't speak to him and tell him too many things. So when God said to him, I'm going to bless you, I'll make your name great, and out of your seed all the nations will be blessed, he didn't tell him about a great famine that was coming in the land that he sent him to. He sent him out into the land of Canaan. He didn't tell him there's going to be famine there and what to do in the famine. He didn't tell him that, yes, I'm going to give you children, but there's going to be some delay in this process. So after 10 years in the land of Canaan, going through a famine, going back to Egypt, coming back out of Egypt, up there, there he is, he still hasn't got a child, now he's thinking, I need to help God out. And his wife, who's lost her faith that God can actually work in her to give her children, thinks, well, the only way it's going to work out can't be me this promise is for, must be just Abraham. So in her reasoning, she's trying to reason out the prophecy. She's trying to work out how God is going to make it happen. And so she's thinking, well, I'm not having any children, and he's going to have the children, must be through someone else. So she starts to get into the reasoning process, how God will work it out, and comes up with a grand idea, why don't you have sexual relationship with my maid? And of course, this is where Ishmael came from. So what can happen is, when we can't, when there's a delay, and God isn't working out what we are looking for him to do, it's very easy for us to think how we can help God out to make this come about, we try and reason it and work it out. And when we do that, we have an Ishmael. Ishmaels are horrible, they're painful, and they cause a lot of conflict. How many had an Ishmael in your life? You tried to help God out over something. One or two. The reality is we've all tried to help God out with something or another, and when we did it, what came out of it was not good at all. We have a better idea than God's. So people have prayed for a partner, prayed for someone for life, and rather than actually build their character and walk with God and, and, and build great relationships, they kind of hurry the process up a little bit. Get someone that God never intended them to have, and then it's a mess. You'd be better single than with someone God never intended you to be with. Well, think about that. A lot of people say, all the counselors say, yes, that's true. <laughs> We've all counseled people, mate. Yeah, that was a bad decision. What were you thinking? I wasn't. I just wasn't. Uh, no, I won't go there. <laughs> I just wasn't thinking clearly. And a lot of guys just don't think clearly. And there'll be people here today just not thinking clearly because what you're doing, instead of trusting God and building into your life the path and the journey with God to get you where you're supposed to go, you just want to take a shortcut and get a quick answer. It doesn't work that way. So what can I do? What can I do if God does not seem to be answering? How many, how many in that place you need an answer from God for something in your life right now? One or two, three, but actually I'd say a lot of people are needing an answer from God. And sometimes he's real quick to give it, sometimes it's a bit of a delay, sometimes it's a long time. So I want to share with you what you can do in the time when God is silent. I can assure you this, he will not stay silent forever. He will speak on it, even if it's not right now. And one of the things I found frustrating is the one thing I want him to answer, and he's not saying anything, but he's talking about a lot of other things. You know, the trivia. <laughs> the little things in your life, the, the little things in relationship. He's talking about what seems to be trivia, and you've got one big main elephant sitting there waiting to be dealt with, and it's like he's just pretending it isn't there. You know that situation? And we have that, and it happens like that. So you've got to learn how to handle that and, and to deal with it. Otherwise, you get, uh, you get overwhelmed. So since it's easy for us to be overwhelmed with painful emotions and feelings over that and, and so on, we need to actually... 
uh, to deal with it. So here we go. If you've got some important decision, some important thing God's not talking, or you've got some painful thing and God's not helping in some kind of way, or you've got uh, uh, it's very easy to become disappointed. So here's, a, here's some things you can do. Now, uh, these are not just, hey, here's a one, two, three, four, do this and it guarantees. Here's the first thing you've got to realize is you can't make God do anything. You just can't. He is in control, not you. You can't make Him do anything. And so this is where a lot of Christians get really disappointed. They think, well, if I just praise loud enough, then he'll do it. If I, if I just read my Bible enough, he'll do it, and he doesn't do it. And I'll, I'll pray in tongues for an hour a day, and he still doesn't do it. And so you, you start to get into this scheming thing, how I can make God give me what I want. And until you've come to the end of all of that, you're not going to get anything. It's like he refuses to be pressured that way. I hate that when it's like that, because I've tried everything at times. Then you end up just crying. Then you get angry, and then you get sulky. Then you withdraw and don't pray. Then you stop reading your Bible, and then you get back up again because you've still got to get an answer, and you get connected again and start again, all over the same thing. How many know what I'm talking about? You've all had that. All been down that route. Tell someone, you know what that's about, don't you? You've been there. <laughs> okay, then. So what could we do? What are some, what are some <laughs> things we can do? Here's a few things. The first thing you can do is, I found always... Strengthen yourself in the Lord. Focus on strengthening your life with God because negative emotions and, and, and fears or issues can surface very quickly. 1 Samuel 30 verse 6, David was facing a major crisis of everything gone wrong for him. And the Bible says when everyone else panicked and became afraid and began to blame and wanted to kill him, he strengthened himself in the Lord. So what would you do to strengthen yourself in the Lord? You need to just face and let the emotions come out that you've got going on there. Because when you've got a lot of emotions stewing around inside, you can't build in your spirit on top of that. You've got to be honest about the feelings and struggles. Pour them out before the Lord. What else you can do? Start to remind yourself or remember the victories you've had in the past, where God answered you. Remember them. Go back over them, how God came through for you. So you remember the track of the victories you've had. These are some simple things you can do. Meditate on the faithfulness of God. Go, go and take pictures of people in the Bible and read about the crises they were in and how God came through and meditate on it. In other words, do some work establishing and strengthening your trust because if you lose trust and stop trusting God, that's when things start to really fall apart. So the first thing I found is helpful to do is rather than trying to get the solution of make God speak to me, work on strengthening my inner life, getting the emotions out of the way, and starting to remind myself of the promises of God, and building the spirit man. You can't get, i tell you one thing, if you're going to hear God, you will hear him in your spirit, and if your spirit is being strengthened in this adversity, one, you come out the other side a better person, two, you're more likely to hear. So there's the first thing, is strengthen your spirit man, and, and that involves praise and worship. Now, you, I, a lot of people come into church on Sundays, and they've struggled through the week. And they've struggled through the week for a whole range of reasons. And no one blames that people struggle. Struggles are part of life. But it's what you do in the struggles. And the tendency in the struggles is instead of building and strengthening your inner life and learning how to praise God and thank Him and express and lift up the atmosphere around them, uh, people tend to just go down and withdraw and shut down. 
And I, and I watch. I can't see in church, and I watch the level of participation of people. And I can tell that many people are shut down because when we are building an atmosphere where we're actually giving something to God, that is a place you can break through when everyone else is with you, and you just are there rising up. You're going to praise God. You begin to say, "Well, I don't feel like it." This is not about feeling. It's actually about this is what I choose to do in my adversity. You ever think about? Uh, for example, Paul and Silas in Acts chapter 16, in the middle of their adversity, they began, they'd been beaten up, whipped, and put into jail for doing good. And then they began to praise God, lift Him up, begin to exalt Him, sing songs, and actually just magnify God. And that is when they got an answer. They got an answer then. Do you think they knew they were going to get an answer then? No, they did not. In fact, actually, they could have remained in prison. But what they knew to do was to magnify God in the midst of the difficulty by thanking Him and praising Him. Now, I found a lot of people don't do that. When we come into a Sunday meeting, no matter what you feel like, no matter what you've been going through, make a decision. You'll stand up and you begin to give praise, give something to God, give the honor to Him. And of course, when you try to do it, if you're offended inside, it will surface quite quick. And you can then resolve it and push it out of the way. Because praise and gratitude will always surface this other stuff that's in your life. Any idea? So I come, I come to meet with God. I don't come to actually end up depressed at the end of a meeting. Now, here's the thing. If, if, if we have, say, 300 people come in and 20 are excited and give themselves to God, then there's, an, there's, there's, there's all these others, the 280, that are bringing a spirit of heaviness and depression. And 20 people have to shift that off everyone. That's not God. That's not the way to do it. The way to do it is we come and we gather to give something to God, and we then give it to Him. I give Him the very best. I get into those songs. I come in. I like to be the strongest, loudest, most vocal worshiper of God. Why? Because I have learned, no matter what I'm feeling, if I will do that, my spirit will energize and arise and lift, and other things take perspective. Any idea? But it's a choice. It's a choice to do it. And, uh, and I practiced it enough now that I can arise in my spirit quite quickly. So one thing, strengthen yourself in the Lord. Here's the second thing you can do. You can examine your relationship with the Lord to see if there's things in there you need to face. Sometimes there are things to face. Sometimes there are issues to face. But sometimes there's, if God hasn't been speaking to you, God's silent. Maybe there's compromise. Maybe there's an area that God had spoken to you. You've done nothing about it. And so it's all gone quiet on the God front in that area. Maybe there's an area where you actually are violating God's principles in some way. You know, you're sleeping with someone, and then you're wondering why you're not hearing from God. I know what you can hear from God. I'll tell you it right now. So if you are, if you're in sexual sin or sexual immorality, this is what the Word of God is. Stop it. Simple. Stop it. Because you're grieving the Spirit of God. It's simple as that. Don't grieve the Spirit of God. Don't quench the Spirit of God. Don't grieve Him. Just stop the sin. Turn from the sin. Quickly get back into God. Why? Because then you'll hear about it. Who knows what you got in? It's already got such a mess. It's out likely the thing's ever going to work out properly. So stop it. Just that's it. You don't need lots of words. We need to hear what God says. So if there's compromise, sin, there's something in our life we know is wrong. And, and in the time when you get in that atmosphere of worshiping God, that's when you start to remember it. And when you remember it, deal with it quite quick. Did God say something to you? What did he last say? Did you do it? What was the last thing God said? If you can't remember, you're in trouble. See? You're in trouble in your relationship. Now, the problem is we substitute activities 
for authentic heart relationship. Authentic heart relationship requires communication. So remember this, that we can be going to church, I could be giving, I could be serving, I could be going in the prison, I could be going out in the community, all kinds of things. But if I'm not hearing God or I haven't heard Him for a long time, it's very easy for everything to reduce down to just church and Christian busyness. And we don't carry a presence of God around our life. We're just doing good things. Now we need to be more than that. Don't stop doing the good things, but just re-engage with God again so the good things you're doing carry His presence into them. So when did you last hear God speak? Keep a journal, keep a diary, write down what God is saying. Because if you don't write it down, you forget it. Who's going to be quiet? <laughs> these, are very, these are really, really important things, aren't they? So we don't know what to do. We haven't heard God for a little while. Now, I believe you need to be proactive. You have to be proactive in seeking God, not just a victim and passive. Oh, well, God's not talking to me. Oh, you talk to someone else and talk to me. Don't be a victim. Be proactive. Seek for answers. Seek for answers. Don't be proactive. And uh, so we need to seek answers. So how am I going to seek answers when I'm not hearing God? And the Bible tells us very clearly to seek wisdom. Wisdom is the principal thing. Wisdom is knowing what to do. I don't know what to do. God, show me what to do. So how would I go about seeking that wisdom if I'm not hearing much from God and I'm overwhelmed by the problem? Well, there's a number of ways you can go doing it. Start to search the Bible for some principles that might apply. There's no, there's no for example, if you're choosing uh, someone to marry, there's no verse that says marry this person. So now you've got to look at the principles that would be appropriate for that. Is the person one spirit with me? Are they joined to the Lord? Are they, uh, are they a believer? That would be a good thing to ask them because uh, if it's not a believer, you've got some big problems. Division right at the beginning. Principle. See? And it's a, are we, have we got similar values? Can we walk in unity? Well, that would be principles in the Bible. So you can start to look for principles in the Bible to help you with those decisions. You can seek wisdom. Here's another place you can seek wisdom. You seek wisdom from wise people. Now, there's lots of foolish people. Don't seek wisdom from foolish people. Seek wisdom from wise people. So if someone has got a, a, a track record of failure in their life, that is not the person to seek wisdom from. You want the person that got some success track in their life. I'm surprised how easily people are seduced by nice words that people have and how they don't actually stop to say, what is the fruit in that person's life? And if a person has failed in their finances and has nothing, they've failed in their marriage, failed in their relationships, and they've got a track record that things are not working out, that's not the person I want to ask, what do you reckon I should do? <laughs> You're going to get a bad reply. You go, well, I think. Well, I don't really want to know what you think. I really want to have someone who actually has done the track record of wisdom. Now, someone's their, their, their marriage broke down, they've gone through all the difficulties and pain, and now they've rebuilt and they've got a great marriage, probably a person like that will have a lot of experience that they'll be able to bring to bear. Go to people that have got a track record. We've got some great people that have got track records, but often they're the last ones to be, to be sought out when it comes to giving advice. I'm amazed that people seek the wrong people. You seek a friend who's in drugs, you're going to get up down the same route they are. We've got to, you've got to think it through. Now, not all people that are wise... Are Christians. I think there's a lot of people who've gained great wisdom that are not Christians. I think there's a lot of people who've got some good experience and wisdom to bring to bear. But seek someone who can give good advice. And you say, well, why would I do that? Because sometimes God wants to talk to you through people. 
Here's a question you could ask. Has God already been talking to me through someone and I just didn't even recognize it? You see, we, we all want to just have the hotline with God, and I believe we should all hear directly from God, but there are times when God will speak through another person, and the reason He speaks through another person is twofold. One, you're not listening to Him directly because you've got your agenda, and two, uh, because this person now gives you a chance to deal with your uh, pride in your heart, whether you'll receive from a person or not. I get people say, well, just me and God, and I'm hearing all this from God. Well, okay, who are the people that you run your wisdom by? Who's speaking into your life that will actually have the right to be able to talk and give you some practical wisdom? You know, one of the things we've been able to build as an oversight team is the ability to speak into one another's life very openly, very freely. But it starts when you are willing to do that. Think about this. When Jesus came, his own town didn't receive him because they said, that's just a carpenter's son. Who's he? Doesn't know anything. You understand you can miss God speaking to your life when someone who's a person in the flesh says something you don't like in a way you don't like. But it may still be God. I, I had to learn early on my Christian walk that sometimes the way people presented things to me was pretty appalling, but it didn't mean there wasn't some truth in it I needed to hear. And it's very easy to get offended when God's trying to talk you through a person by the vessel and miss the message that God's trying to speak to you. How many of you can think of experience where you turned away from someone speaking to you? It turns out that was really God trying to get a hold of you. There'd be heaps of us like that. <laughs> okay. So here's the last one you could think about. You may need to, you know, one of the things I think really helps is to, is to continually affirm my trust and confidence that God is leading me. I, I declare this over you. Thank you, Lord, today I hear your voice clearly and I instantly obey. Continue to affirm your trust. God leads. His job is to lead. Ours is just to follow. So I pray the 23rd Psalm. Thank you, Lord. You are my shepherd. And I, I go through the, the verse, you lead me in right paths for your own name's sake. So I begin to declare it and acknowledge it and make my default position, hey, God is leading me. Whether I'm aware of it or not, whether it sounds clear or not, I convince that God is directing me and leading me. Thank you, Lord, you are leading me. This is my declaration. I follow you. When you speak, I instantly obey. I thank you today. I hear your voice clearly. Start to frame the spiritual environment by speaking out. Silence doesn't build anything. Speak words that build. So that you affirm and build up. And then the last one I found is follow the plan. Follow either the last thing that God told you to do or what you had written down in your plan. So if you've got a plan for building your finances and you're struggling on the way a little bit, just stick with the plan. Follow the plan. Don't make the big swerves. Uh, God spoke to you about something. Don't make any changes. Just follow that until you've got through on that area. Don't be without some sense of direction. So God requires us to make plans and to listen to him. Put the two together. You make your plan. You pray over your plan. And then stick with it. Just stick with it. And then if God is not speaking, it's okay. If he wants to change the plan, he'll speak to you some point on the way. But at least don't just sit there passively waiting for something to happen. We need to be quite proactive in this business of seeking God, listening for his voice. Let me say amen to that. Hey? How so all right then, this is what I want you to do before we finish up. I'll minister and pray for a few people in a moment. But what I want to do is this. I want to ask you this, two questions. Here's the first question. How has God been speaking to you in this last half an hour to 45 minutes? What has God been saying to you? In other words, what impressed you? Now, take it right back through the beginning of the meeting. 10 o'clock, we came in to meet with God. Now, what touched you, impressed you, spoken to your heart 
in that last hour and a half? What? Try to think about it for a moment. What is it touched you? What is it impressed your heart? What is it you would say, perhaps I felt God speaking to me, touching me about something? I felt a stir. I felt a pressure. I felt perhaps, oh, that's a challenge. I felt something really go right into me. Uh, I just felt something inside me leap. What is it that you felt? What is it that God did? And then here's the second question. What steps will you take to act on that? That's what I'd like you to do, to think about that for just about a minute, two minutes, and then just share with the person next to you what you felt God was impressing on you or what you felt impressed by today. Let's just do that right now. Take the time, think about it, think about it, think about it. And then begin to share with the person near to you or someone behind you what God impressed on you today. Ask one another, what impressed you today? What touched you today? If you can't answer it, just sit still for a little while and just listen to the voice of your heart. Listen for a a thought to come up. Let's practice listening to God. know the Lord, but something may have touched you and impressed you today, just share it with the person next to you. Hey, what impressed you today? What did you feel God was saying to you? What would you do about that now? What steps will you take to act on what God showed you? 